0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Baptists have gotten a bad rap for that hymn because it's often used in conjunction with churches where they have an altar call and the extension of the invitation and Then also, as Baptists, we are notorious for singing just the the first verse and then the chorus over and over and over again. But as I was sharing in the back with the musician, that is a wonderful hymn, and it is one that is gracious, and it's one that really prepares us for worship, and it incorporates everything that we need, just as we are, and the reason we can come is because He has made us acceptable. Again, it's been a delight to be here in this celebration of Lent. This is the final few days of Passion Week where we celebrate the fact of Christ, not only His earthly ministry, but the culminating point of His earthly ministry. And with that in mind, I want to, uh, well, first, just say thank you again to the Advent Church for your wonderful hospitality uh, it's been a very difficult week for us in serving here uh, with things that we are contending with back uh, at our church. Uh, we had a very unusual situation on Sunday, and we are preparing for a uh, funeral service on, on Saturday. And so it's, it's been uh, a refreshment and a preparation, even in laboring and even in ministering the word. It's been an opportunity to prepare us for a difficult season of ministry uh, when we return to Miami. But you have hosted us well, and uh, each night that we've had the privilege of being with different members of the, the congregation, it's been wonderful for us. And so thank you so much for having this, this, this door open at this particular time. I've often shared that uh, God When God hugs us, he borrows human flesh, and uh, as such, you have uh, embraced us warmly at a very needed time. Our scripture uh, this afternoon is taken from the book of Hebrews, and I want to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, and I've chosen this passage because I think I I would say that it really captures the heart of what this season is all about, and not just uh, this season, but really the heart of the Christian faith and the heart of the Christian life. But in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. The book of Hebrews is one of those great books that's given to us as a source of comfort and encouragement for the people of God. We know that the immediate backdrop of the book are those who were Jewish Christians who had professed faith in Christ, but because of persecution, some had fallen away, some had wandered as John the Baptist did when he announced that Jesus indeed is the lamb that that has been sent to take away the sins of the world. And then when he was arrested, and Jesus didn't so much as visit him in jail, he raised the question sent through his disciples, are you the Christ or should we look for another? In similar fashion, the Hebrew Christians or the Jewish Christians as they had undergone persecution, some wondered maybe they needed to return to the elements of the law and maybe this Christian thing was not the end of it. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews goes back to the Mosaic law and he makes the point that everything that is presented in the Mosaic law are but types and shadows of the coming Savior. And Jesus of Nazareth is indeed that coming savior. As such, he presents the work of Christ as not only the great priest, but he presents him as the sovereign ruling king, and he presents him as the prophet of God, the ultimate and final word from God. Uh, He is also depicted as not just the priest and prophet and king, but he's depicted as the substance of the sacrifice itself, as well as the tabernacle or the the temple of God. So all of the things that are presented in the Mosaic law find their substance in uh, the person and work of Jesus. Now, as such, the whole point is that we are to look to Jesus, and he shows us that we have, because of our faith in Jesus, we have come to a better place of worship and so he indicates that Jesus is more, is the fulfillment. And so therefore to reject the fulfillment of the law and go back to the elements of, uh, the, the, the elements that point to him is to really miss the substance. And so he captures it by telling us what our great confession is. And this is a term that he uses not only here, but he uses it throughout the letter, uh, let us therefore confess or hold fast. And that's the term, hold fast to our confession without wavering. He indicates the same thing in chapter 10, let us hold fast to our confession. He also speaks of having a good conscience. And so what I wanna do is just sort of give uh, the substance and context of what the Christian confession is being an Episcopal church as uh, one of the historical uh, Protestant churches and confessional churches, you would understand the importance of confessions of faith. That's the basis of our unity. That's the basis of our holding, uh, making sure that when we speak gospel, when we say gospel, we mean the same thing. Uh, I, For years, I served on the on the Council for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, which was an organization that was geared towards calling the Protestant church back to the basic tenets of uh, the, the, the gospel as discovered at the time of the Reformation. The basis of our unity is what is our various confessions. We had different confessions. We know that beginning with the 39 articles of the Church of England, it's a, it's a, it's a foundation for the Anglican and Episcopal Church. We know that among Presbyterians, they had the Westminster Confession and Baptists would have the London Baptist Confession, among others. But the point was that there is at least, even though as it it articulates primary issues and also secondary things by which we may be divided into our various communions, there is agreement and there is unity on the core issues of the gospel, And so the basis of our working together in the name of Protestantism was our confession. Even though they differed in various parts, but when it came to the issues relative to the gospel, we held to the confessions. And I think of that when I read the book of Hebrews and it says, let us therefore boldly hold to our confessions. And there are three things that we want to look at that are grounded in the confession that the writer of Hebrews exhorts and admonishes his readers to hold on to. And the first thing is what sets the context for the gospel itself. And what sets forth the context of the gospel is the threat that we face. As image bearers of God, we face a particular threat, and that's what the writer gives us in verses 12 and 13. This is the context of the gospel. This is the work of the law, the reality of the law. And so the the threat that we face, he says, for the word of God is a living word. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now I need to, to, to make sure that we understand here that when the writer is speaking of the word of God, in this context, what he is referring to is the law, the law of God. And by the law of God, what we mean are all of those things that are incumbent upon his image bearers, defining the oughtness of human conduct. And notice how deep God's law uh, is for us or what it requires of us it says for the word of god is a is living and active it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart then he says this no creature no creature is hidden from his sight But, he says, that we all stand naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's that's the threat that we face. As image bearers of God, God's law penetrates us. It, it, It exposes us because it requires from us obedience at the deepest level. We know that it's not just a matter of, of doing good externally, but it's a matter of thinking, doing, speaking. With all consistency at the very level of our, of our inner being, God, Jesus, as a matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, demonstrates how the law works for us. Now, I'm presently a resident of the state of Florida, which I think is called the flattest state in the Union. And one of the things that I do miss about my native California is driving on a clear day, and we do have clear days in Southern California, but driving on a clear day, seeing the mountains in the distance. And if, if it's a beautiful, clear spring day, you could drive north on the harbor freeway, and as you see the mountains, you think that you can just, in the next five minutes, I can be right there. But what you find out is the more you drive, the longer you have to go. And those mountains are not as near as they appear. What Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is that he shows them the horizon. He shows them the intent of God's law on the horizon. You've heard it said, that thou shalt not kill. And you say, well, yes. And so it it looks like it's within our grasp because none of us can recall having killed anyone. But then he moves that mountain away from you because he says, but if you have been angry, With your brother, without cause, then you're guilty. You see, that's the threat that we face, that when we think we've done good, our good is not good enough. That's why Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. And notice what the writer of Hebrews says, that all of us must stand naked. In other words, he's, that's not just saying that, you know, you take off your clothes in the examining room of God's law or justice. That's a reminder that as Adam came forth from the ground, naked and unashamed before God, that's how we are expected to stand before him in the day of judgment. It's a reminder that we were to be conformed at the deepest level of our thinking, acting, and speaking to the word and to the command of God. There is no gospel in this. The gospel is not penetrating. It's not, it doesn't condemn. This is a word of law. And so what sets the context for the message of the gospel, what is a bottom line to our confession that we hold, is that we stand guilty before God. And brothers and sisters, I may say this contextually in terms of denominations and in terms of church, in terms of religion, a religion that does not begin with the oughtness of human conduct and us missing the mark of God's law is one where we depart company. God gives us the gospel not for good people to make them better, but he gives an announcement of the gospel because there are none good. There is none good, and there's none that seeks, seeks after God. So as long as we measure ourselves against others' behavior, it's easy to look good. It's easy to look better than what you are. As long as you are measuring yourself against this person or this group or whoever, it's easy to look good. But here is the context of the gospel message. Here is the bottom line for all of the confessions that we hold, that we are all accountable before God who judges us inwardly and his law penetrates and his law demands AND THE DEMANDS OF HIS LAW ARE INFLEXIBLE. SO THAT'S THE FIRST ELEMENT. HERE'S THE SECOND THING. WE HAVE THE SEASON OF THE PASSION OF CHRIST. WE HAVE EVEN THE SEASON, I'M GOING TO GO BACK TO THE ADVENT ITSELF. WE, we HAVE THE FACT OF THE ADVENT OF CHRIST AND HIS PASSION BECAUSE WE CAN'T MEET WHAT GOD HAS DEMANDED IN THE LAW. SO that there, THEREFORE, we see in verses 14 and 15 the grace that we have received. So in verses 12 and 13, we see the threat that we face, which is God's penetrating law. But the grace that we receive is a high priest. Notice in verse 14, it says, since then we have a great high priest, and I love this phrase, who has passed through the heavens. What of a wonderful state, statement. We have a high priest. Now immediately I think of a high priest who has passed into the, the tabernacle of meeting, who goes in with the names of all of the tribes of the people that he represents on his breast, and he goes in and he offers sacrifice on behalf of others. But notice what it says here about our high priest. Our high priest is not just passed into the tabernacle. As a matter of fact, in chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews says that we have a forerunner who has passed behind the veil. And so we have a high priest who has passed into the heavens. What a wonderful statement, because here's what we... If that high priest, and we know that high priest is alluding to Jesus... And so here's, here's the journey that he's made. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10 where the writer gleans from the 40th number of psalms and he gives this wonderful statement concerning Jesus. He says, and this is what he said when he came into the world. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And so the grace that we have received is a body that has conformed to the law of God, who was able to stand as he does on Calvary's cross before the scrutiny of a holy God. And his inward thoughts are laid bare. And you know what the Father has declared? That he's perfect. But he doesn't just go into the heavens with the body that has been been prepared for him. He goes into the heavens, he goes into the, the holy of holies in a body that has been prepared and a body that has conformed to the law, but he also goes in a body that has borne the wrath of divine judgment. And so each one of us who must give an account before God, we stand naked and exposed to him. But the grace that we have received in the person of Jesus is that on Calvary's cross, he hung naked in his righteousness. And he bore the judgment that should have come upon us. And here he is now, entering into the heavens with a body that has known no sin yet wounded so that he could receive sinners in his place. And notice that the writer says that he is is a sympathetic Savior. He is substitutionary and he's sympathetic because he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. There's something about knowing that not only did Jesus bleed, the eternal God, in this, the eternal Son of God, second person of the Godhead, bled for me. But he wept. And so my tears have covering. And my tears are contextualized because Jesus sympathizes. He is everything that we ought to be, but without sin. And hanging naked before the Father, he was treated as a sinner. Well, that brings us to the third and final thing, and that is, We see the grace that we have received in a living, breathing, bleeding, crying, sleeping Savior who has now entered into the heavenlies so that we could have the privilege of going before the throne of grace. And notice what it says in verse 16 about our privilege before the throne of grace. THAT WE CAN FIND MERCY AND GRACE IN OUR TIME OF NEED. NOW WHAT'S MERCY? MERCY IS HOLDING BACK JUDGMENT THAT IS DESERVED. WHAT IS GRACE? GRACE IS GIVEN, IS TO BE GIVEN PRIVILEGES THAT YOU DON'T DESERVE. And here's what the writer says. Not just that we can go to the throne of grace, but we can boldly go. If we need mercy, that means we're guilty. If we need favor, then that means we are lacking something that innately and in and of ourselves that we just don't, something that is good, but we don't possess. Brothers and sisters, here's the good news of the gospel, not just that Jesus lived for our righteousness and died for our sins and was raised for our justification. What that means is that each of us, as we embrace that, because that is a tenet of our great confession, it means that we can go boldly in the presence of God and confess our sins and knowing that we can find help, our incentive and our ability to conform to whatever degree we are able to to the will and law of God is given to us in the person of Christ. The confidence that we have in coming boldly to the throne of grace is that we will not be rejected. And the reason we will not be rejected is because the Father, it it pleased the Father to bruise him. And how shall he not give us all things since he has not spared his own son? Someone needs to know this as you're struggling with sin maybe you're measuring yourself by some other victorious Christian and you think that maybe you need to do penance in order to prove that how much you love God and so I want to bring all three of my messages together and first I want to tell you to be still And in your moment of stillness, I want to tell you to confess to the Father that as much as you believe that he loves you in Christ, boldly come to him and confess your unbelief because of whatever it is that's weighing you down. The confidence that we've been given is that he will give us what is needed according to grace and mercy. One of the delusions that many people have about love is they say, well, you you really won't know how to love until you learn how to love yourself. That sounds good, but it's not true. The journey of the Christian life is not us learning how to love ourselves. The journey and the struggle of the Christian life is learning how to receive the unbroken love of God. We can't conceive of God knowing what he knows about us and loving us still. He loved us while we were yet enemies, and when we mess up, we find him loving us still. So therefore... Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, as the writer says in chapter 10, because we have free access to the throne of grace where we can boldly receive and boldly ask for mercy and for grace in our time of need. Thank you for Jesus, one who is spotless, And wounded so that we can boldly ask God for more grace let's pray gracious God again we do thank you for your tender mercies in Christ Jesus we thank you for saving us by his righteousness and crediting him with our guilt We thank you that our sins, past, present, and future, have been purged by His blood. Strengthen us in our inner person to know that truth and to conform our thoughts and our words and our deeds to that truth. Because Your law never changes. Let us know that Your grace, also never changes. Thank you for Jesus in his wounded body eternally interceding on our behalf so that we in the, in the weakness and frailty of our flesh could come boldly to your grace and ask for more move upon our spirits to seek that which we need most to serve you and glorify you in the place and the time in which you have called us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.